Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone would come see a kid at a basketball game. The entire they talk about it in the barbershop. They talk about it everywhere. But if it's a kid at Honor Road, not too many people go to Honor Road Breakfast, or not too many people go to the spelling bee. Like, man, this kid the best speller in the world right here. Like, he about to win the damn bee. Like, we got a brother up there running the spelling bee. But we don't have that saying we should. Like, the scholars in our community are just important as the athletes. So as somebody who has spent the last 21 years covering sports, yes, I am old. Uh, I run into a lot of retired pro athletes who frankly struggle to find themselves in their post-retirement life. They start businesses they don't really care or are informed about. A lot of them go broke. It just is hard for them to find another passion. Well, with my next guest, I never worried about any of that because trust me, nobody is having more fun in retirement than Martellus Bennett. And he's about to tell us exactly what he's been up to. So I feel like I should have a six pack of Dos Equis right now because I am sitting down with the most interesting man in the world, Martellus Bennett. You didn't think I was gonna say that? <laughs> I just—I mean, that makes sense. I love I, those. I don't drink beer, but if I did, you know, those those is it Dos I just—I don't know. I'm from the south. We just make all the names up. <laughs> well, I, it's nevertheless though. You are one of the most interesting people I think I've ever come across, and I'm sure you hear that probably a lot. You gotta get out more. What you don't think? You, <laughs> you don't think you're that interesting? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I, I mean, I find I'm interested, but in myself, so yeah, I feel like <laughs> I like me. Well, I, I guess I say that mostly because, you know, as a sports journalist, it's very rare that you come across people who truly do speak their mind, and you yes. are definitely one of those people who speaks their mind, and you don't really care, you know, kind of how people react. You just you're going to speak your truth. Um, where did that come from? I have parents who allowed us to talk at the table, you know, <laughs> like if we had points of views or like I didn't agree with something, you were able to debate or have a rebuttal and things like that with my mom and my dad. And, you know, you had to be, you had to have your information. So like me and Michael, like we always do a lot of research whenever we talk about stuff, because if we want to present something to the family at the table, everyone wants to call you out on what you don't know. So it's like, you could stand for wherever you want to stand for as long as you have a point of view. Even to this day, you have lots of things I don't agree with my mom with or my, my dad with and we'll have like dinner conversations we'd be on opposite ends of the spectrum on a lot of things but we always like respect each each other's point of view and from that i just feel like if my parents my brother like me and michael don't agree we see things so differently in so many lanes but i agree i understand where he comes from and he understands where i'm coming from so but if i feel like if my brothers and my family and my closest people to me could set me for my points of view and who i am as a person then the, I, the whole world should be the same well um and for people who don't know your brother being michael bennett who is equally as outspoken um and interesting as you are um I think he's not quite as okay. interesting sorry <laughs> just a biased opinion but you guys i mean you're you're both uh, i think that what you may be looking for is like you're like-minded but you don't agree on everything yes we like when i read mike when i read michael book there's so many michael's the only person i know in my entire besides my mom and dad like my entire existence has been paired with michael like we we're roommates in college we went to high school together we we're only 16 months apart so 
a lot of things that he experienced, I experienced, I was there in the same exact moments. But like reading his book there or talking to him about certain points of our life, they affected him differently than they affected me. Although I could see how he, how he sees it the way he does because I was there and I was like, oh, but I didn't take it in that way and he took it in this way. So um, like we had this conversation and I mean, not to just jump in deep, but like say with my birth mother, right? So like, even when our birth mother, like Michael, builds like a relationship with her, you know what I'm saying? And he still, but he needed that. Like he needed to have, like he's big on like history, where you come from and all the roots in your family. He want his kids to be able to know all, all spectrums of it. And just real quick to explain people who may not know your, your personal history, again, with your birth mother, like just kind of what your family dynamic is. Yeah, so my dad, so I was born in San Diego. I'm a Navy brat. We both, you know, I was born on the ship, on the base. And um, so my dad served my mom and my dad, my, my birth mother, um, and my dad got married very young and they had kids like very fast, a lot along, but they divorced. And then my dad remarried my mom, who is Penny. Um, and she's been my mom since I was, I mean, since eight, you know what I'm saying? So like for me, I always had a mom, you know, because my dad was a single dad for a while, but um, he remarried and he met my mom at a funeral, actually. When there's death, there could be life. And <laughs> if I met her at a funeral. <laughs> That's an awesome story to tell people. <laughs> and what? Your daddy Mac at a funeral? Hey, wherever you got to shoot your shot. <laughs> Over his dead body. <laughs> I know this is uh, rest in peace, Uncle Earl. I know this is Uncle Earl, but. Wait, Uncle Earl? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know this is Uncle Earl, but man, I don't know who that is on the other side, Uncle Earl, but if it wasn't for well, your death. <laughs> I wouldn't matter. I wouldn't matter. So thank you. So yeah, thank you. My dad, you know, my first date was my dad took her out to play tennis. Yeah, he went to play tennis where my mom was like, you know, it's kind of how she was. She played tennis and she with the gremlin and everything. But mm -hmm. yeah, so like my birth mother wasn't a part of our lives growing up, you know. So, but for me, I never have a, a vo I never felt like I had a void, you know, like or anything. Like I never had this one. You didn't feel name. like you needed to establish a relationship. And I have no hard feelings toward my birth mother like even when like if michael have her to his games or over to the house i'm there it's like hey how you doing it's just very cordial and talking but it's like not like i'm mad at her or anything like that it's just like it was just never established a relationship and i didn't felt like i had a need for that relationship because i always had a mother and and michael felt like he needed that relationship even though he always feels that he feels the same way about my mom that i do but it's just like too and he used to always think that I needed what he needed. So he's always trying to push that on me. Like, oh, you should go talk to her or go do this or go do that. I'm like, bro, it's not like something I necessarily need in my life. Like I'm I'm good. So it took him a while to understand that it was just like two different perspectives. Like I told him I have an issue with you having a relationship, or you don't have an issue with me having a relationship. Not like I'm being a dick. You know, when we're around, like when we're together, it's just like, oh, can I fix you a plate? Like, what well, you know, saying whatever is just that's the way the relationship is. Yeah, and for people who don't know, um, Mike's book is called "Things That Make White People Uncomfortable." Perfect title. <laughs> I know. I was put. I put our books next to each other. It says, "Dear Black Boy, the things that make white people uncomfortable." <laughs> that, that's quite a pair. That's I for know. sure. I, right? I took a picture of him one day and I saw that. I was like, "Man, our parents is probably somewhere. I don't know what was going on." Yeah, it was like you. You, you know, you're arming young black uh, boys with you know confidence, a sense of identity, self. And we'll talk more about that book in a second. And then you know, Michael at a different phase is like, "Yo, you're gonna make some white people uncomfortable." So here, this yeah. is what also. <laughs> you have to look out for. Um, so you said a second ago that you and your mom, uh, sometimes you are opposite sides of the spectrum. What's something that you guys are completely on different sides about? Uh, um, school. I think we both view school. I don't feel, I feel like self-education is the best form of education. I don't think the school system is, my mom's a teacher. Uh, so. so you try to tell, <laughs> wait, time out. you try to tell a teacher <laughs> but when I talk to her in my point, she'd be like, yeah, we could do better at this, but you should see this as well. Like, you know, so I understand both sides of it. And I love edu I love to learn, but I just feel like when you learn in a school system, the way it's paired is paired for you to become part of a system. It's not prepared for you to think of how to break the system. Right. And, uh, and the whole idea of like being a kid. And you go to the hallways, it's almost, there's like a prison. They're blowing whistles, stand on the left, stand on the right. It's not colorful. It's not an inspiring place to be. School should be the most inspiring places in the world. The idea of like sitting at a desk by yourself to figure out a solution, you never have to do that in the real world, right? I look at somebody's paper, the teachers call it cheating. I call it collaborating. 
right? Like, <laughs> it's, that's what we're doing in this whole world. You got to learn how to work with others. I think the school system should ri- get rid of the, the, the desk where people are sitting there solo, and they should have round tables. And each week, you should rotate with whoever you're sitting there with their group. Now, everyone has forced to work with all different types of people from all different walks of life to reach a certain goal and to learn. So then you learn how to... If you're not if you're not doing your part, it's easier to tell. Like, hey, this kid did this, and now you learn how to work with people in that aspect from a young age. And that's what the real world is. Like, you have to learn to work with other people. Sometimes people don't do their part, but like a lot of people don't know how to communicate. Hey, you need to step it up. But if you start kids at a young age working in groups and know how to be accountable and responsible, not only for themselves but also responsible for the end goal. So that means you have to be responsible for this person. So you have to hold them accountable. It's a whole different mindset. There's a lot of things in school that I, I like about you know learning, but I also think that they the, t- the standardized testing ruined the system because now everyone goes to school to pass the test, not just to learn. And they learn and they teach you how to pass the test as opposed to just sort of critical thinking and free thought and, and those kind of things. Free thought is the most important thing. I think uh, like art, how can you grade an art piece? Right. Yeah. How can someone fail art? Right. Just because it doesn't look like what you have doesn't mean that this kid is doing so it wrong. So if I drew some stick figures, cool. Yeah, long. I mean, but that, there's people who make money throwing drawing stick figures for a life. I mean, as long as you put effort into it, it more should be an E for effort, or you. It shouldn't really. <laughs> well, from E's, we're not a good thing. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, I just feel like there's a lot of parts of it that we can do better, like retain, like learning to retain to retain information or to seek. I feel like when you seek information, you retain that knowledge a lot longer when it's given to you, mm-hmm. right? So now you search and you find and you go discover. And when you go explore, you discover more things that you're not looking for. When I'm given a certain amount of information and my whole thing is to regurgitate that information to pass a test, then that's not really that's not really anything like special. You can learn that on your own just by reading and educating yourself. Well, so now... Thank you for making me feel better because now I know that I didn't cheat my way through geometry in 10th grade. I collaborated my <laughs> yeah, way through. Definitely. Oh, yeah, I collaborated. All right. Yeah. But I, my collaborating ass got a C. So now I feel like my collaboration clearly wasn't that good. It so, wasn't. Yeah you, now, yeah, you had to bring more. I've been, there's been times when I've been cheating and I've just been like, man, that's wrong. And that's like, I don't know why. Like, why does he think this is A or B? Like, this is totally wrong. He got these other ones, right? So was, I'm like, I'm really collaborating because it's like, yeah, I wouldn't put that. I don't know. I want to tap in and be like, hey, it's not A on that one. It's B. But you got the other four right. I got the same ones. Like, we just we were just working that. We negotiated. Yeah. So were you uh, were you somebody that didn't enjoy school? I mean, or maybe you only enjoyed cer- certain parts of school? I was an honor roll student. So I love I love to go to class. I love to learn. I like learn. I love just learning stuff. I have a thirst for knowledge. I'm always reading, always searching, always asking why or what if or how. Mm. Um, well, um, so if your if your kids if they had like bad grades, you know, would that be something that you would just see as part of the process? Would you be upset? I mean, because given your attitude towards school, it seems like you don't believe much in the structure of school. It's one thing to have make an F, and it's another thing to be a dumbass. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> It's True. like, yeah, you gonna fail. Like, I think it's important that the kids fail. I think, but like, my daughter, I understand that when I like say my daughter, for instance, I understand the way that she learns and who she is is totally different. Like, she's more of an art. She has like an artistic mind. Like, she wants to color. She wants to draw things out, and she likes to. And she has. She really likes to learn, and she likes to. She likes to challenge herself. So, like, she'll bring her workbook out and start doing it herself. And like, she force you to like work with her. You're like, man, I really didn't want to be. And nothing's more annoying annoying thing trying to listen to your kids try to read <laughs> hey, like, but, but, but 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 it's butts like you almost did you, you got it sound like my man on harlem nights man <laughs> you i guess the craziest thing like you sit right there they're talking and trying to read and you just like but but i it but it, it you want to help them along so bad yeah but you gotta but sit you there can. through it yeah you gotta yeah. put your headphones on like you got it you know like it's super interesting to watch her learn but like for her i understand that like like we would talk about this all the time. I don't think like a college. I don't even know if colleges would be around. So at some point, the people are going to catch on that it's the biggest ripoff in the in the, in the history of the world, besides parking. And, um, and pa- wait, besides parking? Yeah, parking is a ripoff. Yeah, we pay for these streets, and now we got to pay to park on them. I know. Yeah, I mean, look, don't get. I have I have <laughs> built up rants for for days about parking fees and parking tickets. Like I, I almost. Didn't get my diploma in college because I uh, I had I owed so much money to 
parking. For, to park it. Yeah. The fact that they tied those two together is yeah. some dirty shit to yeah. me. I think right? so too. Yeah, so. They're going to get their money though. Yo, they are. I mean, they almost had a, a, a 95 probe for the cost of $690. We said the same thing about tollways. How long do we have to pay the tollway? Especially when the, the roads are raggedy and you still. I mean, like there should be where, where, there should be a, a, a we should see a expense, a expense sheet for when, how much has been paid toward the tollway and how much has been taken off. And at some point, it should end. <laughs> right? It should like be, no more money. Yeah, it should, we should have to pay for 20 years. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure, like, and then they get so much money because you might only have a dime. So they're getting five cents extra from a lot of people who don't have the exact amount of change. So they make it like 85 cents, which is also a big ripoff, but also very, very smart. <laughs> At the same time, you respect the fact I that respect it's- I respect the hustle. You respect the hustle. <laughs> uh, so while you know we're talking a second about your kids and yeah. this learning in general, that leads me to Dear Black Boy, which uh, if you guys haven't gotten it, it's an incredible book. I think every black child should have this book um, because you really- talk a lot and encourage I think it's an encouraging book number one but it really is meant to kind of stoke the imagination so how did you kind of come up with this concept for Dear Black Boy well I wrote Dear Black Boy after Alton Sterling uh, it was originally a poem that I did for the Players Tribune and I just didn't really know what to say but I also when I saw him I saw myself but I understand when the rest of the world that sees us they don't see what we see right like I was with his um psychologist the other day and pediatrician she's saying like if you have a white kid a white boy and a black boy and they're both for age 10 then the most of the world will think that the black boy is 14 15 while the white boy still gets seen as a 10 year old kid and that's a big problem because now if you have a 14 year old they see him as a 21 year old you know what i'm saying they see him as a 20 year old kid so the kids at that age they get treated differently from a white kid at their and age look at tamir rice yeah you know? i mean killed and when you listen to the 911 call um I mean, I think he was 13 years old. They make him sound like he was a, a grown adult. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're right. Many studies have been done that not only black boys um, are seen as being older, but also black girls as well. Yes. And that's used as a mechanism to sexualize them. Yeah. And black girls actually hit puberty, I think, three years before, like at like eight, while the average kids like 11 or something like that when they start hitting puberty. But it was like totally different. Uh, that was part of the research that they were, we were talking about, too. And for me, as a, I feel like when when I started writing it, I just I needed a letter of encouragement for what I see in myself and what I see in him. So and what I see in all the black boys when I be around the world, but also don't think the black boys starts to see themselves the way that the world sees us, right? So how do we reprogram ourselves and rewire ourselves to see ourselves differently in a different light? And once we start to see ourselves in that different light, then that will reflect into the world, and that's how the world will see us. Um, so, like, as a for a black boy, if you go somewhere, any age, if you get out of car or you get in a, if you're tall or whatever, they ask you, what sport do you play, right? Because that's how they value the black boy in the community, and we value the black boy in our community the same way. Like, we'll go to everyone will come see a kid at a, um, a basketball game. The entire they talk about it in the barbershop. They talk about it everywhere. But if it's a kid at Honor Road, not too many people go to Honor Road Breakfast or not too many people go to the spelling bee. Like, man, this kid the best speller in the world right here. Like, he about to win the damn bee. Like, we got a brother up there running the spelling bee. But we don't have that same we should. Like, the scholars in our community are just important as the athletes. But we put the athletes on a pedestal for so long because they represent so much for the community. I always say that they were our superheroes, right? And they... You, their idea of becoming an athlete is feasible. Like there's so many people that come from the same neighborhoods we come from. They've been in the same places that we've been. Their parents look like ours. So we know that we could be them. But once you start looking into all the other fields of life in, in the world, you don't see yourself, right? So you don't really see like, oh, I could do this or I could do that, I could do that. So Dear Black Boy for me is like, no, this is out there for you. It's just that like we'll have an NBA draft or NFL draft, but there's so many kids that are becoming doctors this weekend. Yeah. You no, know, just graduate and just so many people become we won't know who they are. Like no one gives them a pedestal. So we have to give them the same platform that we give athletes as far as being seen. Well, um I think this was a, in a New York Times story um a few years ago. I mean, you have a better chance of being struck by lightning than being a professional athlete, right? And yeah, so I, I saw my I saw a coach get struck by lightning one time in high school. It was 
craziest thing. But it was his fault. I told him, Wait, I said. how is it his fault? Then? Because he was being the devil. And what I said, I said, coach, that cloud looks close. It was a dark cloud. And I see dark clouds. Like people sometimes are dark clouds. I recognize dark clouds in all metaphorical ways. I recognize dark clouds in my life. And I see this dark clouds, Houston, Texas. I'm like, oh, practice is going to get cut short today. I'm like, that cloud is moving this way. It's like, nah, we got to finish. We got we tough. We could play in the rain. I'm like, yeah, but that rain is doom It sounds like, you know, it sounds like the black eyed peas up there, you know what I'm saying? So you know it's cracking up there. So I'm like, yo, coach, that cloud is moving fast. And you know, this is like one of those clouds where it comes and sweeps over. Well, what happened was all the light was all around the one dark cloud. So yeah. dark cloud So it just, definitely looked like lightning was was coming. Yeah, it was moving. Mm-hmm. It was moving. It was it was traveling fast too. So it was just passing through the city. And I'm like, coach, I don't want to get struck by lightning. And I'm the tallest person on the team and I'm standing in the middle of the field. And I felt like that. And I just like this helmet just feels like it just just gonna conduct energy. I mean, just go track lightning, you know, and a couple of minutes later, clouds getting closer. I'm panicking. And I'm just kinda like, I'm gonna make my way in. But then I don't wanna separate from the group because I didn't wanna be the one to stand out. So coach tried to make a point and he's like in the field, like, Oh, y'all going like we was like, nah, the the trainer is like, Well, we gotta get in. He's like, Oh, we don't need to get in and bam, he gets struck by lightning, it comes out his ass. Boom. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> It can't just you can't transfer the energy has to go somewhere. It, it came out. Of, I just want to understand. Boom, boom. Okay, um, and so I mean, he made it right. I mean, he survived. Okay, he's, yeah, he survived. Was he messed up or was he? I mean, I thought he was messed up before, so he had to be messed up to even be out there. Coach football people are weird, man. They just feel like they could just do anything at any time, like they're gladiators and shit. And I'm just like, nah, man. We still human. <laughs> Football's a ridiculous sport. You got to be almost insane to play it. And yet you played it for quite a long time and played I, it quite well. Yeah, I ain't got it all, though. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that. That's why in an average career, it takes you about three and a half years to figure out that you don't got it. Right? I'm not wired like they wired. It's like, I, you know what I'm saying? I ain't going to make it through here. It's more about the wiring of people. You got to be like, yeah, be willing to go. Think about it. I'm at practice. This is just another practice story. This is how this is how we become as human. We lack empathy as football players, right? And the main reason is because we taught not to be empathetic. And the main thing happens like if you're the backup and the person that gets hurt in front of you, you could break his leg in five ways. Inside your heart is cheering because it's your turn to play, right? You're like, yeah, yeah. And then you know what you say? I'm never gonna give this spot up again. I saw somebody turn that ACL at practice. Running back, towards ACL practice. You know what they did? They moved the huddle up 10 yards. He was still behind us. And we tried to check on him. And he was like, no, go finish practice. We got to get the plays in. It was just like, but it's my friend. You know what I'm saying? So your friend goes on IR. You never get a chance to call him unless you see him in the locker room. Like, we're taught, like we're taught to be. And you have to destroy another person. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when I'm on the field, I think to get an advantage, I think that this man across from me is trying to stop me from feeding my family. Mm-hmm. So it's like the the crazy linebacker in uh, the program. Yes. Yes. It was. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. But your spirit doesn't seem like you're that kind of person. So I'm I'm I, stunned that you are drawn to a sport like that that encourages well, such violence. I turn it off and on. Okay. Most guys don't have a switch. That's another thing. Like they leave and they always have that wired. They're always wired to compete in that level. Like for me, once the practice is over, it's like, all right, I'm gonna go read some Harry Potter now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, but don't act like you ain't beat some ass in practice, though. I have no. That's what I'm saying. But yeah. once practice is over, unless okay. someone say something, like I'm, I'm, there's only a few people I've met that nine times out of ten, if they say gonna slap you, they're gonna slap you. I'm one of those people. That will slap. Yeah, I will okay. slap you. Right. And Jay Ratliff was another one of those people that will slap you too. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um. No, so like for growing up, like I never really picked one thing, right? I did music, I did art, I did everything. And in Texas, football takes, you know, takes the it's the front runners. Like everyone wants to play sports, and my just playing football was fun, right? The idea, like playing in the games, is fun. Like practicing, meetings, all that shit. Like I could do without that. But if I could just play football, like pick up basketball is. And, but then. But growing up, I just played like it just at some point I ended up on autopilot. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just something I did. My body was just trained to get up, work out, you know, go practice, eat, get prepared for practice. And it's just kind of conditioning for doing it for so long. Do you have any thoughts or idea of when that happened, when you kind of went into autopilot mode? The moment my parents signed the waiver, I think the moment your kids signed the waiver, you signed the waiver for your kids to play PB football, that waiver, you're signing over their identity 
not just to prevent them from being from signing over their life if they hurt that you got to pay for it. You're signing over their identity because from that moment they hit into the stage of being brainwashed of what it means to be not an individual but to be a part of a team, to do what the team does, to operate in a certain way, and to move in a certain demeanor. I think, and it's the brainwashing has been the same because in the NFL or any sports, and like when there's a lot of guys, they don't want. They can't they can't handle fifty three individuals, right? They need to handle fifty three guys who are like minded that move the same way. So it's all the conditioning. You could look at any tight end room, and the tight ends are pretty much the same, as far as the personalities go. You could look at the quarterback room, and all the personalities are pretty much the same. So that's why when a guy has a, a, a awkward por- a personality that's not fit into that mold, it's like this guy like he's different, or he's like say like a Cam Newton. Right, because he doesn't fit the mold of what everyone groomed to be, what a quarterback should look like, a quarterback should dress like, and all those things, you know. So I just w- wish Cam would stop posting at hieroglyphics. I don't know what the hell he's but I, he's the uh, only just... person I've ever seen that uses wingdings as a font. Like it's just so ridiculous. I'm like, what is this? It gotta decode this. Yeah, it, it takes too much time. So I don't really read his post. I'm like, okay, cool. He's dressed that way, great. And they try to make an app one time so that you could write like Cam Newton. Like, I'm who like, wants what? To do that? I'm like, why? <laughs> I'm like, Who's me- your business partner? Like, nobody wants to write in wingdings. I'm like, I'm- yo, give me Helvetica. I'm good. New Times Roman. I'm straight, right? I mean, what? Well, new Courier New. I mean, I don't, like, does he have a special keyboard? Like, I don't really get, like, how he does that. And what it says, it's almost a headache to try to figure out. I don't get it. But it makes sense, right? Because the font he chooses is loud. The way he dresses fits the font. They go hand in hand. Like, you put that font on his clothes and it will make sense. <laughs> And if if people are confused right now, just go to Cam Newton's Instagram page and just read any of his posts. Try to read. Try to read, yes. (laughs) You're not drunk and you're not high. Yes, he is is really um, writing that way. So it sounds like you, especially like when you retired, because so many people, so many athletes I've talked to who have retired, say the reason they knew it was time to retire was because they stopped, they they started hating the process. The process of like getting ready, preparing. They started hating that part. They just wanted to play in the games. Sounds like you sort of always been that way to some degree. Oh, no, no, the process was my favorite part. Okay, so they the, was. Yeah, okay. the mindset of getting ready to defeat someone, like looking at him like, oh, his hips are bad or his feet is bad. If I'm going against, because at tight end, like I always tell the wide receivers, they got they get to go against the same person the entire game. I get to, I have to go against several different guys while I'm playing. So I have a plan for each guy. And for me, that was pretty fun like studying somebody finding like oh he had a weak hip or his knee is out he doesn't even know his knee is out because you could kind of tell how the body runs and the way he's moving and things like that and just figuring out ways to attack and planning an attack and then when it works on Sunday that's exciting you know what I'm saying it was like the the ideas of being for me I knew it was time for me to retire well okay so I was in Japan right and in Japan I met this lady named Miho and Miho was fabulous and we were going to Osaka and we were in Kyoto and she was like my guy. So in Kyoto, everyone speaks Japanese. So it's just like I had to have someone to talk to because I was by myself. I went on a spiritual pilgrimage for 10 days by myself. Mm. And when I met Miho, it's like she was just showing me around. And one day we took 40,000 steps. And I remember that because there was one day at practice, I took 20,000 steps. And I told the coach, like, y'all don't pay me enough to take 20,000 steps at a practice. Right. And Wait, uh, which coach was that that you told? That was my tight end coach. Oh, yeah. T- um, for what team? In Green Bay. Green Bay. Okay. Yeah. So that day, yeah, we're searching, we're walking, and I'm going through all the Shinto shrines, and it's quiet, and, you know, and I asked Miho, I was like, how often do you do this? And she was like, oh, I do it every single day, or as often as possible. I was like, you take, she's like, I may not take as many mistakes, these, as many steps as we took today, because you're like an adventurous person, you want to see everything, most people get tired, but you just kind of keep going. I was like, I just want to see it all. But I was like, you never want to take a day off? She's like, no. I was like, she's like, I love every single aspect of this from meeting new people, showing them the same thing, you know, because the tour is pretty much the same for her, mm-hmm. showing them, discovering new things about people. And she's just like, I just tried to do this the other day. And the funniest thing, I was like, what about your husband? She's like, oh, I see him every three months because they lived in different towns. And I was just like, she's like, yeah, me and my mom, like, she like, she loves to like, make origami. And she made me this really cool. She made me a bunch of cranes while we were walking and things like that. And I was like, well, there was, but there was way, everything we did, she was very happy. And I was just like, man, I want to have something in my life that makes me as happy as it made Miho walking me around Kyoto makes her, you know? And I realized that every single thing about football does not make me happy. And I was trying to find peace. And I realized, like, when I was in a Shinto shrine praying to the, 
I think I was praying to the hair god at this time because I'm going bald. There's like all these different gods out there that they got that they have gods for every single thing, like God for shoes, God for business. So I'm just praying to everybody. <laughs> You're like, I need some hair. Look it up. <laughs> I'm doing this like they got all the rituals. I'm doing all the rituals. I've come dressed out like a ninja, you know, like a samurai. Like I'm doing everything, you know what I'm saying? So I pray to I like I'm diving into the culture. Like I'm I'm Japanese this week. I'm a six foot seven Japanese guy, you know what I'm saying? And um so I'm doing this and then like these Shinto shrines, there will be like hundreds and hundreds of people walking all around, but it's quiet. And you always just like, why is it I'm whispering to Miho and I feel like I'm being disrespectful. I'm like, why is can I whisper? Like everyone, she's like, well, she's like, well, when people come into the garden, they like everyone's usually quiet so that you could see the beauty and really take the beauty in. So it's like being respectful for each, for each other. Now just kind of like, shit, in America, we just put our headphones on even louder. <laughs> so in this shrine, I'm like, I'm looking at this, it's like this temple and it's made out, it's, out, it's wrapped in gold foil and it's sitting in the middle of a pond. Like, you know, and it's really beautiful moment. I'm sitting there, I'm trying to find peace with myself because I felt like my spirit was a little chaotic for a bit, especially after my last season in the NFL. And... To find peace, I re- I had to remove thoughts of football and think of thoughts of creativity. So I figured if I want to find peace for the rest of my life, I will never be at peace playing football because it's a chaotic sport. The lifestyle is chaotic as far as like you don't really ever have a job. You always could get cut. They could blackball you. They could do whatever they want to. They're in control of you. So you can't, you can't be at peace when someone else is in control of you, right? So, um, So I go to a point where, you know, I remove football from my spirit and I'm only thinking about art and creativity. And that's when I found peace. And that's when I decided to retire. I was like, I just want to make art for the rest of my life. Cause I want to feel at peace and I just want to be happy. And yeah. So M- Miho helped you decide to retire. Yeah, I sent her email and she's like, Oh, you're so nice. And she calls and checks on me. She's like, I got your book. And I'm like, Oh, Miho, you're great. <laughs> well, but you know, you strike me as somebody, um, again, that's unlike most retired players you talk to who doesn't, really miss football or yeah. do you no i don't actually i can't stand it you know i just got to this last my first year out, i used to still check to see what was going on but like this year like i don't go to like pro football talk or espn or anything anymore so it's like totally it's moving further and further away i mean when the season started watch my brother play and keep up with what he's doing but i think guys messed up because they think guys coming to the nfl think it's forever i start preparing for life after football my first year in the league right and there a lot of people say I wasn't focused and I think that's a hard thing a lot of guys get pushed away from having plans for for succeeding in life after football because they throw it at them as they're not being focused and they should do football 100% of the time so when I was in Dallas I used to do all the art shows I used to have the clothing lines and all the stuff I used to do then and and I just kept doing it kept trying things I think a couple things that guys happen is they don't educate themselves while they're playing. So they don't find something that they're in love with that they could study and fall into. So there's this gap of information that's missing when they have to go back into the real world. So like they, they don't really study in college and then you get to play five, eight years in NFL and then the world has changed because you've been in this bubble that you operate in a different world because your world is in a gym and not actually in the world. So like I always encourage guys to read and gain knowledge so that when you get out, you're always growing as a person. There's not a lot of growth of a player that comes in at 21 and leaves at 28. A lot of times they're the same person. Right. And my brother had this because he went to a retirement party. He's like, man, a lot of guys, they just kind of, I can't be friends with them if it wasn't for football. And I was just like, that's because you're always growing. Like at one point, it's cool. You know, all we do is play football. We have that in common. But when you start to become men, you start to have interests. And if guys don't share those same interests or those morals that you do, then you start to separate yourself. I think there is a form of PTSD that guys experience after the NFL, but it's because they've been conditioned to be a football player since their childhood. So anyone who's been removed for anything that they've been doing for 20 years, they'll be they'll be conditioned, they'll they'll have a form of PTSD because they don't really know who they are without it because that has become their identity. They are known for that ability to run fast, jump high, and everyone cheers for you. Like that's a great feeling. But when you remove, no one cares anymore. It's hard for guys. That's not that's not like the NBA. Guys aren't really relevant after the NFL. Like there's not a lot of relevant guys that do things that you could be like, oh, he's a guy that's doing this or doing that. Like, you can't really say that, especially in the way of like pop culture. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a there is a lot of guys that suffer after the league. But I was prepared. And I knew who I wanted to do. And I think the other thing that guys mess up, I would give guys advice if I could give them advice, 
is that a lot of guys fuck up. Can I say fuck up? You can say yeah. fuck up. <laughs> fuck it. I'm so fuck. So a lot of guys fuck up. <laughs> a lot of guys fuck up because they don't put themselves in the right room. Yeah. Right. They go where it's cool, but not where it's going to invest them in life. So they'll go to like the BET Awards to just be seen at the BET Awards. Like instead of I spent my summers interning at Nickelodeon or going to the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards because I wanted to do animation. So I meet people in the business in those spaces. So a lot of guys put themselves in the wrong spaces based on what they want to achieve after after football. Mm-hmm. Marty B, life coach. Well, look, uh, we're just going to put a, a, a pin in this conversation for right now, but I have more that I definitely want to talk to you about when we get back because uh, you are a great storyteller. Never would have guessed I would have heard a story about lightning coming out of somebody's ass. <laughs> um, so I'm going to uh, ask you a little bit more about some maybe interesting NFL stories that uh, you collected along the way throughout your illustrious career. Uh, we'll be back on the other side. All right, back with Martellus Bennett, who uh, in the first half of this podcast, this may, honestly, the lightning story may have been the best story I think I've ever heard about anything that's happened at a football practice. Yeah, you should just come by and smoke a joint with me sometime. I just tell you all the stories. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> although the, the problem would be, while we're on the subject, and maybe, you know, since you're, you give such great advice, maybe you have some advice for me on this end. So I can't really smoke weed because I've always been a terrible like the smoke, I don't know what it is. That's not really my thing. So can you eat it? Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, technically I could eat it. Yeah, okay, just, All right. is that better? Eat, well, eating is just kind of you got to take it slow. I always tell people like you could always get higher. So just start off with a little bit. You could always go up, but it's hard to come down. Like you have no control in coming down. So let's just take you up slow. Okay, you know. Then, so just start with a little pinch. Yeah. Then oh. see how you you know. See how I feel, yeah. and then go into that. I'm sure uh, I'm going to get a, a thousand people saying, like, you should smoke it this way or that way. But yes. Different stra- it's different. It's different. Different strategies. Yeah, different. While we're on the subject of weed, though, um, Chris Long, who just retired. Um, I know. I FaceTimed him. Did you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I guess the world is in shock because Chris admitted that, yeah, he smoked weed while he was playing in the NFL. And people acted <laughs> I just wonder if I ever smoked with Chris. I don't think I ever smoked with Chris. Okay. There's a lot of people favorite players who smoke weed that they they have these these personas that they could never say that they did. Right. Well, he was, and of course, it led to kind of the same stupid conversations about marijuana use and players and and this and that because he was really saying that much like a lot of players have said that the NFL really needs to take a serious look at taking marijuana as a, you know, as a league drug violation off the table, using it for medicinal purposes or whatever, whatever purposes you want to use it for. Do you see that day happening in the NFL that they're going to? They will have to. It really doesn't make sense to me, though, because in the NFL, they have more incidents with alcohol than they have with marijuana. And guys who have marijuana or test positive for marijuana, they get harsher violations than guys who are repeated drink drunks, right? Like guys who have drinking problems, right? And there's guys get hooked on painkillers and different. There's so much science behind the flower that that works for the player. I also I do think that players who test positive is a bit ridiculous sometimes because you only get tested once a year, so you can and sm- you know you you know, you know. When this, when so you, and it's before coming, the yeah. season starts. You okay. either get traded tested during mini camp or you get tested during training camp, and it's usually in the first couple of weeks of training camp. After that, you can smoke as much weed as you want to. Like you just like the system's not that hard to get around. Like so, it's like just stop smoking, bro, and pass the test. And once you pass the test, you go back to smoking as much as you want when you need it the most. Well, that's why I've always looked at the the test as a common sense test, yeah. right? Because you know when it's coming. And I always think the people who have a real problem, not necessarily with with marijuana, but just in general, yeah. are the people who repeatedly fail that test. Yes, because that to me is an indication either you don't care. You failed the common sense test where you have a real problem beyond just marijuana. I just, I feel like everyone's already smoking weed, so it's just make it easier for them to have access to it. I, I don't, I'm not a guy who's like would smoke on a game day or, you know, before practice or I'm not one of those guys, you know, like I'm the type of guy who smokes and read a whole book in the afternoon, right? Like I'm a super like. So weed makes you more productive? Weed is my coffee. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm trademarking that phrase. <laughs> well, look, if anybody ever needs the um, the evidence, we you have it here. Yeah, it's now yeah, recorded yeah, that sure. you came up with weed is my is coffee. my coffee. Yeah. So, 
again, we, we were talking about practice in the first half. Uh, what's a, when I, what's some other crazy practice story that you can think of that happened in the NFL? Like, oh. do you have a crazy Patriots practice story? Specific, nah, any that involved Bill Belichick or Brady or no, nah, they were funny. I think the only person who would to say something at practice would be Julian Edelman, but everyone ignored it because it's just like it's just Julian being Julian and just kind of like whatever. But for the most part, I mean, most of my major incidents were well, the Bears that was one, right? Yeah, that was one, but that that well, people don't realize that okay, during OTAs, I'm playing for the Bears, during OTAs, there's we can't, there's no pads, like you can't bull rush, right? Like you can't, no one could put their hands on you. It's against the rules. So we had just signed Lamar Houston to a big contract. So I was a little jaded because I was coming off a good year and I wanted a new contract and I felt like they gave my money to him, right? Although there was enough money for us all. Right. You know, well, to, but the system is set up to extent, make y'all feel that to way. To a certain extent. It's just like, you know, there's a cap, salary cap. But I didn't really, like, I wasn't mad. I wasn't really jaded. But I'm like, how you going to pay him? He ain't do nearly what I did. That kind of that kind of yeah. thing. But um, anyway, so we're practicing OTAs and He's bull rushing because I I learned from Andre Girard um, a lot of offensive lineman techniques because he's a center for the Cowboys. So I learned how to block from the offensive lineman. So I have a lot of tricks on the end that defense ends don't usually see because they don't play inside. So like if I'm cutting on the backside, I got this little hook technique where I can throw myself around the defense end and cut them off. And a lot of guys think it's holding, but it's not really holding. It's just a guard technique that they do it on the inside. Um, so I'm doing like I'm just like just whooping his ass like just but not really fairly you know what i'm saying like it just i'm smart and i'm doing shit i knew he had never seen before i'm because in the offseason i try stuff right so i watch offensive linemen and i try those things on defense end so he started bull rushing me on pass rush because i could pass rush very well so like because again i watch uh, flozell adams and those guys taught me so he's bull he starts bull rushing because he can't get around me so i'm like coach like it just put in my head and i had just had jet so i was like my wife was no siggy was pregnant so i was extra on edge like i was just kind of like you know i got a kid on the way y'all try to fuck up my money you try to fuck up. if i can't play this you know like i was real like on edge when i first had my wife got pregnant and we was about to have jet and um so like they're bull like he's bull rushing i could tell coach i tell trust me i said coach on the i'm like coach they're bull rushing they're not supposed to be bull rushing i can't really do anything when they're bull rushing the only thing i would do is get bull rushing is against the rules can you tell them to stop bull rushing it's like, yeah, yeah, guys are just trying hard. Yeah, you know, you're doing a good job. Keep fighting or whatever. I'm like, are you going to solve the problem, though? Like, <laughs> like, it's all good and well, but uh, yeah, yeah, so the next day, So the next day, he bull rushes again, right? So he's bull rushing again. And I get in a film, and I get in a film session, and I tell Coach, I was like, Coach, they're bull rushing on the edge. And I get in a full, the film session, and he's circling like he's doing something great. I'm like, Coach, this is not fucking great. He's bull rushing. He's not be fucking bull rushing. I say, look, Coach. Either you tell him to stop bull rushing, or I'm going to have to tell him to stop bull rushing. If I had to tell him to stop bull rushing, you're not going to like the way I speak, right? So the next day I came, coach, I'm like, coach, you talk to him. He's like, oh, guys, it'll be fine today. You know, we're going to do little things or whatever. I'm like, all right. So I get out there, which is which is why I knew Trestman wasn't a great leader. And we get back out there, and he bull rushes me. So I pick him up and body slam him. And then I put my knee in his neck, and I'm choking him. And I'm pointing at coach. I'm like, coach, this is your fault. <laughs> I didn't want to do this. You made me do this. You forced me into this. Yeah, I didn't want to. And Lamar's like. <laughs> and then the defense alignment coming to pull me off. Like, get off him. I'm hearing Lance Briggs and uh, Israel Adonis J try to pull me off. I said, no, I'm not getting off him. Coach need to come get me off of him because this would not happen if it wasn't for coach. Then by that time, they like tackled me and took me and took me to the ground. And I got up. I was throwing him off me or whatever. And I got up and I went home. And the coach was texting me. And I was like, coach. Uh, he's talking. I was like, Coach, that's your, that's your fucking fault. I told you, you ain't gonna do something about it. I don't want to deal with this. I shouldn't have to deal with this every single day because it's not something we should be doing. We have pads on. Cool. He could bull rush me every single play, but there's no pads. Why I gotta sit here and get my neck twisted and turn and fall and wake and walk around like I got a crick in my neck and I slept wrong? But it's from Lamar Houston. That shit ain't right. You know how hard it is to get a crick out of your, a crick out of your neck. It's hard. That shit ain't cool. Like I can't even turn my head to look at my wife. This shit's so unsexy. I look like Beetlejuice in this motherfucker. <laughs> so. So I'm telling Coach, and Coach just texted me, he was like, and he's texting me, he was like, yeah, you know, you know, I, we should have, whatever. I'm like, Coach, I don't really want to care, um, blah, 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 blah. And he's just like, and he just gave up. He was just like, I'm not trying to get in a war with words with you. You're better with words than I am. And I was like, Coach, what is this, words with friends? <laughs> oh, my God. You're better at words than I, I am. I ain't really good at words with friends. 
that used to be my addiction for a while. Yeah. But um, well, I mean, <laughs> a, a lot of uh, NFL guys that I, I've talked to. I mean, a lot goes on, not just on the practice field, but also um, in the locker room. And one of my NFL friends told me that, uh, despite the fact that football players are so macho or come off that way to a lot of people that in the locker room that you guys violate each other's personal space like you know crazy because you're just so used to being around each other so he would often tell me about how guys like shit with the door open and they don't like they just don't care and all they're, of, they're nasty yeah and that yeah he said there's a level of nastiness that goes on in the locker room it's like the whole thing they talking about wash their legs i knew that was a thing from the beginning, like, do you wash your legs or not? I've seen guys come off the football field. And don't and, wash their legs? And, and hadn't washed their legs. And not use a towel either. Just use hands and the Gojo soap, which is not even like the good soap. I had to bring my own What is, what is Gojo soap? It's just like the, the community soap that they just throw oh, in the okay. thing. The shit that's like in a it's plastic container. Gojo. Yeah, it's okay. called Gojo. <laughs> I just know because I've seen it for years, you know. <laughs> and it is weird. That's why I don't know like how a lot of athletes are homophobic because of the entire idea of, the sport, like you're in a room with guys walking around naked all the time. So it's just kind of like, I don't really, but the whole thing too is like, but um, yeah, guys, the guys are nasty and they don't really what's take. The, what's the, who is, I don't know, one of the nastier players you ever played with? I mean, I don't know. Just like, I just for what you witnessed from I mean, personal, like just personal habits. I mean, I mean, I don't want to get in guys' personal habits. A lot of guys need to take more baths, though. <laughs> I'll just say that. I just don't know how you go. Like, in a normal day during, like, training camp, I take three to four showers, right? I just feel dirty just being around athletes, especially in that demeanor. You're sweating. You're meetings all day. You're sitting in there all day. I'm just sitting in my own self. Sometimes you got to go wash off the bad energy, you know what I'm saying? So I'll take a, like, if I get, like, a 15-minute break, I'll run and take a shower, you know, like the whole bath pill thing is something real. When guys are like, oh, I'm gonna just take a shower at home, like they just put their clothes off and they don't take a shower. People do that. Yeah, it's called a shower pill. A shower pill. Actually, Justin Forsett started a whole business because of it. Uh-huh. He got this whole thing called a shower pill, which is like wet naps. Like when you take a whole bath. Oh yeah, yeah, I know about that. So whole he bath. made yeah, so he made the the products for a whole bath for oh, men. Really? Yeah. I mean, I guess men take whole baths too. Everyone takes whole baths. Yeah. A whole and, bath is like a bird bath when yeah, you just I was run say, to the for bathroom. Those who are not educated on yeah, the whole bath, you just like, wash your privates and, and your that's arms. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when you have one of those hit and run situations, yeah. and you don't want to stay to take a shower. Yeah. I don't know anything about that. It's just like yeah, <laughs> long, you got, long, long time ago. Or if you got hit and run, someone's coming over and you don't want to take a shower, so you Correct. just so you just like real quick. Yeah, it's just think about it as if you hit someone's car, you don't leave insurance. You don't leave a note for insurance. That's kind of how I imagine a whole bath being. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we just educated people on what a whole bath but is. You know what? I did see this though. I did see the craziest thing I said. I'm not gonna say any names on this story either, but. And a locker room one day, it would come in hot, sweaty, you know, at the practice, playing for the Cowboys. I will give you that. It's Texas heat because it's important to the story. And um, we had an altercation on the field, you know, like guys getting into it, beefing or whatever. And, you know, we had a pol- coach try to make guys apologize, so they apologize or whatever. And we get back to the locker room. And I never remember, I never forget this because I'm putting, I was taking off my right cleat. I remember because my foot was on my bench and I looked over my shoulder. I will never forget the moment. And I'm like untying my shoe and I look back and I see a guy pull off a guy's towel and bite him on the ass. Just because? <laughs> I mean, why? I know. <laughs> so the dude that got bit, the dude that got bit, he didn't know what was going on. He's just kind of like, you know, we should punch, run, jump. Like, what was happening? And he was just kind of like, oh, I, I, I don't know even how was, to react. Yeah. And it was a little bit too late to react by the time he got his mind. Because then it was by like. By the time he processed. By the time he proce- processed it, he was like, if he had punched him, it would just been like crazy. And I saw that happen. That was crazy. I mean, I assume it was for like it was just they were just being playful. Like one was being playful, the other was not. <laughs> I would have guessed the biter was being playful. The yeah, bitey, not so much. I mean, just just I, why? Yeah, just why? Like, but I find men to be weird like that. I mean, like my fiance and his friends, like they 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 will like wrestle, you know, um, yeah. just because 
they, I don't know, I don't really know why. And he, he's asked me, he's like, hey, dude, when you and your women friends, when y'all get together, do y'all just like sort of play around and like slap box? Like play fight, right, yeah. exactly. I don't understand why men yeah, do I this. Never, I've never really been into that thing. I, I don't have many men friends. Most of my friends are women. Mm. Men energy is just so, uh, their egos are just kind of just come, before they before the man comes in the room, that ego comes in the room, which is, you know, I just don't really like men. I don't. I really don't have many friends from the NFL. Like I don't have. I play or college football or high school football. Mm. Is that part of that growth you were talking about? That you feel like you guys because you don't play football anymore, you don't have anything else in common. I've never had. Even when I played football, they. I've always felt like guys knew that I didn't belong in the locker room, just on the field. Like I'm not a locker room guy. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm like y'all talking about what? I'm about to read this book. You know what I'm saying? Like I just we just never. I just never had much in common. And some guys try to fake the funk. You know, like, oh, yeah, I like creativity. And they start talking to you. Then, like, after five minutes, you're like. You realize they don't? <laughs> <laughs> Not real creative. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it, though. Yeah, touche. Yeah. So, who is, um, who's your favorite quarterback that you played with? John Kitna. John Kitna was His my... story, by the way, is incredible. Yeah. Um, was... I did a story on him years ago. Where I mean he's a religious guy and yeah, he is. Uh, he's I'm uh, not but he is yeah he's a very uh, he's a Christian <laughs> and because he told me um, the story about how uh, I think when he was in college his his future wife caught him in bed with another woman mm-hmm. and so and he was obviously he was just talking about like his growth as a person as a yeah. player he's definitely one of the most honest players I've ever interviewed yeah I love like if it wasn't for Kitten I would retire my third year in the NFL because I was about to retire one day I was just like I ain't going to work today. And I didn't go. I called my agent. I was like, I'm done. And um, he's like, oh, you can't not just go to work. And I was just well, like. Well, how many years were you in the league at this point? When you, three. It, oh, third year. Okay. Yeah. All so right. I'm in a, I was just calling. I was like, I ain't going to work today. I'm done with this shit. They get on my nerves. I hate everybody up there. I'm done with, with it all. And then he's like, you can't just not go to work. I'm like, shit. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> he's like, because you're on a contract. I was like, shit, they'll own me. Like, they just own my that football stuff. Like, I, I ain't going. And then he was like, all right, hold on. Let me call. Like he knew he had to do some damage control because I'm one of the people like he knew once I make up my mind and that's it. That was it. I'm like yeah. I'm done. So then um, Skip Pete called me and he was like, "Man, just just come up here and talk for a second. And um, so him and Coach Sherman, um, um, Ray Sherman, Ray Sherman, yep. yeah. So Ray Sherman, I really love those two guys and. Um, I had to talk to them because the coach, I couldn't talk to the coach at the time. <laughs> and John Kitner, though, John Kitner called me and he was just like, hey, let's just let's just talk for a second. And he was like, going to do, he's like, I, he's like, I know you're having a hard time up here because you're so talented and you're going to be really good in this league. But he's like, he's like, don't think this experience is what your experience will be the entire time in the NFL. He's like, you're going to be one of the best tight ends in the league. He said, but what we need to do is like, when you come in, just work with me. So on practice squad, just come here and like, so I became like, I'll be the guy in the Brandon Marshall jersey or Vincent Jackson was killing people and he'll just throw me the ball every single play. Like they'll just, and um, so that's kind of how, and then just the conversations with him was what kept me to make it through Dallas. And I was just like, all right, then from there, just everything else went on. But he was one of my favorite people. He taught me a lot about football. Who is your the least favorite quarterback you play with? I don't know. I mean, I like them all though. Mm-hmm. I mean, they all were different. I mean, one of my favorite, the, the be, one of the best guys to play with, even though he's in a back back end of his career, he was one of the most ex- excellent storytellers I ever met in my life, and that was Brad Johnson. That's where I got my first touchdown from. So, like, just That's talking to trivia, Brad, just talking to Brad, like, he was really, really intelligent, and he was just really funny, he was, and he had good pace and good cadence with telling stories. As far as, like, quarterbacks, though, like, I love playing with Jay on the field. Like, he, I caught my most passes from Jay, and Jay was... Jay has, gets a bad rap. He's, you know, he just has a, he's in a weird predicament because we have expectations from that position that he doesn't fit. But in other ways, he's he's great. Well, but, now it's funny because people are seeing his personality now with the reality show, which oh, yeah. is one of the most entertaining things on television. Jay is. Y- yes. Yeah, that's every day. I, but that, yeah, I wish I would have known this <laughs> Jay in the league. I mean, t- trust me, you want to talk about unbothered? There were every press conference he came there, and his demeanor was like he could give truly less than fuck about anything happening. I know, around but him. were you on the field? It's just a bad demeanor. <laughs> yes, it is. It's just like I get it. Once we off, but like when we here, like it just started to carry on in all phases or whatever but he is a funny dude he's really intelligent and I think like highly highly intelligent so that was a good thing about him too there are glamour parts of the league that you know people all know um, but what's some components of like playing in the NFL that you know are really difficult that 
the average fan or other people don't think about as they're they're watching the game in terms of the impact on the players. I always tell kids, man, y'all don't really want to do this shit. This shit is ridiculous. Like, I mean, from the way your body feels, even now, like I like I have a hard time working out right now. And I was talking to a friend. And he was like, well, he's like, you got to think about it, too. Your body's been through so much trauma that it probably hasn't truly healed yet. You so look like it, you could play right now. I could. I mean, I could. I mean, physically, I could and be productive. But he's like, your body hasn't had a chance to, like, totally just deal with all the trauma that it's been through. So, like, trying to work out, that's just added more trauma on top of trauma. So he's like, you got to try to figure out a way to do something else that could keep you active that doesn't feel so I'll be trying like hot yoga and you know now I love I'm, doing hot now yoga. I'm just like I'm just gonna start riding my bike to my studio you know just to get my conditioning and like stuff like that but I think the biggest thing is like the fact that like there's this idea around it NFL about or but from fans in the community of sports that like there's this thing about loyalty and loyalty to a team I think that Player, people stay with their teams. Players do not stay with their teams. Like, you have to take the best job. You got to go to whatever city that you have to go to to play in. Um, the other thing people don't realize is that at any moment, you have to, your family can have to pack up and move. Like, there's like there's guys who get traded or go to three, four different cities. And, it, like, you just wake I was in the middle of looking, looking at a house when I got traded from the Bears to the Patriots. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh, shit. Like, the house I live in now, L.A., actually. I got traded the day my first time I looked at it. And I'm like, well, we can't buy a house because we got to move again. <laughs> right. So it's just like that idea of, like, you have to pick your family up. So it takes a special family to be built to be able to travel like that. But then also the... Like, a lot of people think you just go to work, like, and play football, but really, you get to work at, like, 6.37. If you're dedicated, you get there at 6.37, start preparing for the day. You don't leave till 5.30, you know? Like, I'll tell a lot of kids, like, the whole day is, if you're not good in class, you're going to have a hard time in NFL mm -hmm. because you have to be in meetings. Right. And you have to learn how to study and how to research and how to, like, take your information. Well, um... Uh, as if people haven't picked up on this by now, like you have a lot of different interests. The things you're doing with Imagination Agency, the fact that you're into animation, um, the book, uh, but you also have somehow in between all of that found time to uh, rap and write lyrics, right? Yeah, I love making like, music. Yeah, you, know, you make a little thing. music. So how did you get into that? Well, I grew up in band. I played a trombone. I was first chair all through like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, eighth grade or whatever. So you like six five with a trombone? <laughs> I wasn't that tall then. But yeah, it's just like long legs, long arms. I got tricked into playing the trombone though. I wanted to play the saxophone. I wanted to be the black Kenny G. And um but they they tricked me into playing the sac the uh, trombones, telling me one of my arms is longer than the other. And I <laughs> fell for it. It just went like this. And I was just like, What? And I ran home like Charlie Buckets and told my mom I needed a trombone. And but no, so I grew up in. It's crazy because the area we grew up in, uh, not area, we all grew up um, freestyling and making music and beating on a table. So it was a part of our culture in that sub the subculture in our neighborhood. Like everyone freestyled, everyone had to rap. So we, I've been making music since I was a kid. And when I got to the NFL, I started a like this alternative hip hop group called the Moonshine Kids, and we used to travel and perform while we was while I was playing for the Cowboys too. And so I probably made about 500 songs over the last 10 years, at least. Last year, I released 48 songs. I put 48 songs into the world. I got a new song that drops tomorrow. Oh. Yeah, it's called Palm Trees, actually. Shameless plug. I forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, see? Uh, Palm Trees, what's, what's it? I mean, a, a general plot line, if you will, of what it's about. So I like to make music with my friends who are musically inclined, and most of the music I like to make is just, like, fun. So I write all, I don't really have a genre. I just write whatever I feel like writing. And Palm Trees is about, basically, it's about um, partying and getting high and having a good time and hanging out by the pool, you know, sun shining, you're under the palm trees. So it's, it's, I just want to party, blow a little tree. Don't really drink, but all drinks on me. I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into it for sure. Well, since you write in rap lyrics, uh, before we uh, close out everything, your top five MCs. Yeah. Okay. So DMX. DMX actually doesn't make enough lists. I mean, I this is I don't know about the rest of the world and yeah. what they're going to do in the DMX rest. DMX does not make enough lists. Yeah, this is just my personal list, and this is what I like to listen to. Lupe Fiasco, as of you just uh, music. Um, Currency is my favorite artist of. He's the only one I've listened to consistently for like my entire since he's since I've been old enough to listen to music. Um, that's three. I throw Jay in there. Okay. So Jay Z. And um, being that you're from Texas, you talking about UGK? Well, that's a group, so well, I can't throw them in there. I said top five MCs. You could put, you know, you could, but I mean, I was but thinking it's more individual. Because I think about like 
to me and Buns, my friend, I think they sound better together. Right. Right? Like, it's almost like Big Boy Andre. Andre could have a career by himself, but Big Boy will struggle a little bit more than Andre because it's like style and it's like the way he goes and it's better. But a lot of people put Andre in their top five. I I love Andre. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he's incredible. I just don't yeah. just because I feel as if and I don't really count um, a speaker box that he has got to put himself out there like other solo artists have like and make multiple albums yes. by himself. Uh, I had uh, Talib Kweli on the par- podcast and he had a great analogy for him. He called him a ringer. Like he can come in and he'll just yeah. blow up a spot, you know, on a feature or whatever, yeah. but he's very choosy about what he does. Yeah. And so until he starts like really putting himself out there as an individual artist, I can't put him in my I top agree five. With that. I agree. I think the big thing about Dre, Dre that a lot of people was, he was like one of the first people from our culture that was on that platform that let, told us we could be different. We could dress different. We could sound different. We could approach it differently. We didn't have to be like thugs with chains and things like that. So he was the first one. Like he wore green pants. He was just silver out there. hair. Out there, it was just there. so cool. Yeah. Like that was like I his freedom awesome. of self was like. I think that's what most people are always the way he made you feel. Like I was talking to this earlier. I don't think like Tupac was could survive in today's hip hop game. Hmm. Uh, even though you don't think he would, well like Jay. Well, I know him and Jay Z were much different rappers, but a lot of the say forty plus rappers are still. Good. I mean, Nas is still good. Yeah, no. What? Who listens to Nas? Okay, see, you're going to make me fight you. Don't make me fight you right now. I'm talking about today's Nas. Like, people are jamming today's Nas. This last album with don't, Kanye was whack. Like, don't don't make me fight you. Jay-Z's <laughs> the only one out of that group that was able to be consistent enough because he's the one that showed the most growth in his music and his personality. He took us along with him. Like, every stage he grew, he grew with his... Like, you think like a young Jeezy. He didn't grow at all. Right. So, his music doesn't grow, then he gets forgotten So, do you about. think Biggie could survive in today's... Biggie? Yeah, yeah, rap climate. Yes. Because he was always a storyteller. Yeah, because he's a storyteller. Right. Pac was more of what was happening in the world. So if you think about like, like I tell people like Nipsey, Nipsey, like his messaging wasn't as big as people like, not that many people was listening to his music at first, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like he was making good music, but it's the messaging of it was the different time. So like what the 90s music was all about empowerment and what was going on. So it was like a big part of it as but as just as making songs and music like a lot of it doesn't really just play like i don't know how many times i just put like a not that i think Pac is cool and his poetry the way he's doing but like as a rapper i don't think he was like the greatest rapper his personality and what he stood for and his presence was humongous though oh your social handle is what at Marty B? Yeah. Oh, is that <laughs> is that Martellus B or at Martellus Marty B? Rich? I just want to make sure I throw that out there before all the all the Tupac's names come. <laughs> no, I like Tupac. Yeah. I like Tupac. I'm just saying, like, it'd just be interesting as far as like growth. You think about like Nas didn't grow the way that Jay Z did. Like No, they were they they're different rappers. Yeah. Um but and and look, I'm guilty much like with sports. People fall in love with different eras, different athletes, and you sort of yeah. hold a snapshot of them. Yeah. And you never like nobody is thinking about Michael Jordan at 40 when he was on the Wizards. Even though he was still good yes. for that age, built like a power forward, but still good. Yeah. People are more or less thinking about Jordan during his heyday, and that's the snapshot you have, and, and I think that's, that's the it. problem with people. They don't take things for what they are in the moments and what the time is now and how that would fit into the moments that we're in and totality. Yeah, I mean, because when I brought up, you know, since you were from, um, you know, Houston, or, you know, from Texas, rather, uh, I was thinking of Scarface, actually. Yeah, Scarface is great. Yeah, Scarface yeah. is great, but like I love like I mean, Slim Thug, like I I grew up in Swisher House, you know what I'm saying? So Big Hawk, Big Pokey, all those was like my music growing up. I forget I'm old, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up I grew up in <laughs> You had to agree like that, but okay. I remember when Mike Jones was like first coming out, like yeah. I was I called his phone number, you know what I'm saying? Like I was the kid calling Mike Jones on that. Three three zero eight zero zero four. Even though I think he will before <laughs> it before it all goes down, uh, before it's all said and done, and, and again, hip hop is always involving. What I notice is when I ask people their top five, they never say Drake. No one ever says. Drake. I'm not a huge Drake fan. Uh, I don't think he experiments enough with his music. I think a part of being in top five is being able to use your voice affliction and try new things. Like Kanye is great because Kanye tries all different forms of music and he tried even Lil Wayne tried it at one point. You know, they just they advanced their musical ability. You know what I'm saying? Like I like Tyler Creator because musically he plays the piano, like he's he's a well rounded creative, you know. So there's not a lot of rappers who are creatives. Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of them that could spit lyrics, but when it comes to their creativity, that's kinda limited. So 
But yeah, Drake's not nowhere. He's not in my top five. Like, all right, well, we'll have to argue. He's a about meme it. rapper. <laughs> a Instagram <laughs> caption okay. lyrics. You're not just going to do, uh, was it Champagne Poppy that way? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do think he makes very, very likable, catch, you know, like catchy music. And I, so there's I, something to be said for that. I you think know? it's cool. I think it's music cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. Yeah, um, Marty Sawyer's Rex, but yeah. <laughs> well, uh, look, Martellus, I mean, I know you're going to continue to evolve and who can tell what is ahead of you? Because um, you're you're doing so much in so many different spaces. Uh, I'm just really, like a lot of people, very anxious to see what the next 10 years looks like for you from a con- creative standpoint. So Wait till the next 10 months. I'm about to Oops. fuck some shit up. Okay. <laughs> All right. In this business, we call that a tease. So thank yeah. you, Marty. I appreciate you joining me. So, Marty B, we close every Jamel Hill is Unbothered with a segment that is near and dear to my heart called Fuck It, I'm Bothered, mm-hmm. right? And you are one of the few people to get it right away because when we talked about this off air, you were like, oh, yeah, you just talk about all the shit bothering you. I was like, yes, that's yeah. exactly it. It's quick. It's bite-sized. So I am going to generously give it to you first. But okay. All right. The key to this is you have to start by saying fuck it, I'm bothered and then go into what's bothering you. It's like Jeopardy. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, yeah. what is, you know, <laughs> what is in the form Answer of a question? the question with the question. Yeah. There you go. All right. So go ahead. Fuck it. I'm bothered by the abortion rulings that's going on right now. I just think it's ridiculous for a bunch of white men to be sitting in a room and try to make decisions for the entire world when there's no women in their decision makers being able to voice their opinion where they come from. And the problem is the diversity in the room does not reflect the world. So therefore, the outcome of that that group is going to not be diverse enough to include everyone else because we're not included in the room. Therefore, we don't have to, I'll say we, I mean, as far as the people, as far as there needs to be more women in those rooms and more women in that discussion who get to choose. You cannot tell someone what to do with their body. You cannot tell someone what they should and should not be able to do is their choice. Like your choice is not everyone else's choice and your God is not everyone else's God. So do not bring your God in here because we don't all serve your God. So it's ridiculous to try to throw your God onto the rest of us in this world because this place was built on diversity and this place was built on the fact that no one is actually American and everyone came from somewhere else. So therefore, all guys are welcome, all people are welcome, and everyone should be able to make a decision for themselves. So fuck all you guys. Wow. You you <laughs> you really dropped the mic on that one. <laughs> you really dropped the mic on that one. So you got it right away. Well, thank you for that commentary. I know it's a lot of women out there uh, who appreciate it. Um, I've certainly discussed that on this podcast before. And I'm team mind your business. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, I don't, it's funny how we talk about all this government regulation or some conservatives, I should say, talk about how they want the government out of this and that, but they more than happy to let the government into your relationship and into your bedroom, which I'm firmly against. So here's my fuck it, I'm bothered. So fuck it, I'm bothered by Pete Buttigieg, right? So he was asked, and I honestly wish the media would stop asking political candidates, really all politicians, period, whether or not Donald Trump is a racist. Because it's a pointless question at this point, and to me, it's already been solved. Um, those receipts are there. So they asked him about it, and he's hemming and hawing, saying, well, he says racist things, but this is a question to academics. It's okay to say yes and move yes. on, right? So while I understand that a lot of the candidates and a lot of politicians and people in general who are asked that question, they're trying to think of a very... PC way to call somebody a racist who has shown you exactly who they are. So I'm bothered by the question and I'm even more bothered by the way that they choose to answer it. If you don't believe he's a racist, you can just say, no, he's not a racist. But if you really want to say he's a racist, just say he's a fucking racist and just leave it at that, right? Yeah, I think most politicians be lying, but one thing we could all agree on is that Trump has been very honest in his racism. <laughs> that was meant to be. I, I don't, that was definitely shade, right? That's shade. <laughs> That's he's been honest with his racism. Like it's right there on his face. He's wearing racism every time he walks out the room. Like racism looks like racism. I see, but a lot of times, a lot of people don't have to experience racism, so they don't really want to notice racism. Like we notice racism right away because we experience it. I could walk in a room, be like, "Damn, that's a racist ass room," and everyone else would be like, "What do you mean?" And I'm like, "Damn, you don't feel the racism in here." It's like a special smell in the air. It's like yeah. a stench. You're yeah, like, ooh, like, it's a racism perfume going through this. You know, so you could just smell racism, like a new eye. Like, look at that. That's racism. They don't see it. It's like almost like 
fucking what's that bird box? You know, saying like, open your eyes. That's racism right there in front of you. That's what she was running from in that movie. She was running from racism. There was no ghosts out there. It's just racism killing everybody. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify Studios and Unbothered Inc. and recorded and edited by Rich Burner and Cadence 13. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Evan Dick is our executive producer. Jesse Burton is the executive producer for Spotify. And Denise Holly is the program manager. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. 